You're listening to VO Stories, Episode 71. Today I'm talking with a Renaissance woman. She's a producer, director, improv genius, and my friend, Laura Gerke. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Tina Zaremba, voiceover talent, mentor, and good old-fashioned storyteller. I believe we all have a story to tell. We can all learn from one another. I created this podcast for you, the VO artist who's ready to embrace all that your VO journey has to offer. You'll be inspired, informed, and transformed as you learn from industry experts, VO talents, and my insights from 15 years in the industry, having voiced national commercials to promos and everything in between. Success in voiceovers is more than just a snazzy voice, and this podcast will help show you the way. Thanks for listening. Happy Thursday, folks. As I mentioned at the intro, I'm talking with a 21st century Renaissance woman, Laura Gerke. Laura is a producer here in New York City, and she's also a director, a creator, a genius at improv, and so much more. You guys are in for a treat. What I really love about Laura and love about this conversation is just how real she is. She talks from the heart about finding her way about dealing with depression, as well as what it's like to be a producer, what she loves about it, a film that she worked on and created, which is amazing, and why she loves improv so much and how it benefits her life. So with that, here's our chat. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with my good friend, Laura Gerke. Hello. Laura, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Tina. I know. I'm glad to be here, too. It's good to see you. So official. All right. So I wanted to invite you on, not just because you touch the voiceover industry, but because honestly, Lauren, I've never even told you this. (laughs) You are one of the most present, open, and passionate people I've met. Oh, stop. (laughs) For reals, for reals, for reals. And, you know... The one thing about aging is you can really smell BS a mile away and tell <laughs> when people are phoning it in, yeah, and you don't phone it in at all. So that's very kind. I feel the same way I, every time. So Tina and I have coffee dates pretty regularly, yeah. and it's so wonderful. It's just we dive into all different things, and I feel the same way about you. So Thank glad you. we're connected. It's a love but, fest. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's start off with. Actually, why don't you tell folks a little bit? who you are and what you're all about. Absolutely. So hello, listeners. My name is Laura Gerke, and I currently reside in Brooklyn, New York with my lovely girlfriend. And I, for my day job, I'm a post producer um, at an ad agency, which is how Tina and I reconnected. Hopefully we can dive into the first time we met five or so years ago. And since college, I've been out of I guess around nine or so years now, I've always worked in some level in the production industry. First started out at the Travel Channel, working on the network side for a few years in D.C. Then I actually moved back to Cleveland, where I'm originally from, did some writing. That's kind of my exploratory uh, post-college phase, which perhaps we'll talk about later. But four years ago, I moved to New York and worked at a branding agency in production, and now I'm at an ad agency called Hogarth. And I'm, yeah, I'm a post producer and I'm also working to produce shoots right now, which is really exciting. So kind of straddling. I've, I've dabbled into a lot of different arms of production. So where in all of this was a seed planted for production, post-production? Or- yeah. So 
I guess it stems back to college because oh, I was an anthropology major at a liberal arts college, Kenyon College. Being at a liberal arts school, it's it doesn't really matter about your major. It's just about the experience, blah, blah, blah. But I just was a huge fan of television growing up and just that world. Not that I ever had like a formal training in it in college or anything like that, but I actually applied to be an NBC page when I was a senior in college and I got to the final round of interviews and that would have been in New York City. So I had like two phone interviews. I flew out to New York during finals week and it was so intense. It was a group like five hour interview. I actually didn't end up getting it and I was devastated. I remember reading the email from NBC because in my head that was my dream job and it was meant to happen. Like I was like, I was supposed to get out there. I was supposed to be an NBC page and then, you know, it didn't work out. I believe that all of that was supposed to happen for a reason because I would not have been ready for New York City personally as a 21-year-old. You know, now that I'm here, I moved here when I was 26. I just feel like I had to grow a lot more and explore my, like, who I was before I came here because when I landed here, I was so tuned into who I was as a person yeah, and was ready to take on New York. So I think the timing not to bring the universe in so early on to our chat. But oh, like, no, it bring in the woo. I love it, honey. <laughs> it just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to come here yet. So. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I feel like, you know, I came here at 21. And right. yeah. I, we talked about that. In those first few years, it was like I was being blown sideways for <sighs> a, yes. a long time. Yes. And just, just felt like I was caught up in a swirl yeah. for so long. And Absolutely. had no direction. So you came here when you were 26 and you worked at... I worked Tri- at Loyal Casper when I moved here, which is a branding agency. But right after college, I, I moved to D.C. right after college because my dad or my mom and stepdad were living there at the time. And I connected with an alum of my college about an unpaid internship at ABC7. So I was a production intern at a news station in D.C. living on my parents' couch for a few months. and. That was really cool. News was fascinating. I you didn't want to stick with that route? What, news? Yeah. No, immediately I knew I was not supposed to be news because it's so depressing. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I know. Well, it's just, huh. I mean, yeah, news is important, but it was so intense. It was really intense, yeah. and, but it was really fascinating because every morning we'd come in and all the reporters would pitch their ideas and it was like one-man bands. Like people would bring a camera set or a camera you know, tripod and everything, and then just be solo in the field and, like, set up their camera and then just press play and roll and, like, jump in front. Like, it, it's really, it was really cool to see how it all worked, but it just wasn't for me. But then when I was living in D.C., I actually met someone who worked at the Travel Channel mm-hmm. playing in an open jam basketball, like, on a Saturday morning. And it just really fell into my lap. It was very, I mean, I applied for it. And I absolutely, like... Someone was like, hey, you're new here. What What are you into? And I am graduated three weeks earlier. And I was like, oh, I'm looking for a job in production, blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm interested in. And she's like, oh, I happen to work for the Travel Channel, and we're looking for production coordinators. Do you want to come in and interview? And so I interviewed, and I got the job. And then I worked there for three years. And so, did that seal it for you where you were like, all right, this is where I want to stay in TV? Um, you know, the Travel Channel was a really interesting time because— Echoing exactly what you said about, I felt like I was being blown around those first couple years after college, and I learned so much because I didn't I didn't learn about 
production in college. So it, was, it really was every job I've had, I felt like I've has been like a different schooling for me, mm-hmm. you know, but I was so young and very stressed about like learning how to work full time and college was so idyllic for me and it was just a big shift. But I, being at the Travel Channel, I learned learned a ton. The people were wonderful, but I definitely was dealing with my own stressors and anxieties as like a 22-year-old. So I always was like, am I doing my job the right way? Am I, mm. I going to get fired, this or that? Because I was just young and putting a lot of pressure on myself mm-hmm. because it was a whole new world for me. And I personally never really connected with D.C. I had some great friends there. And, you know, met some really wonderful people, but the city itself never, the city itself and me never synced up the way that New York and I do. (laughs) With that being said, I loved, I knew I loved production because I got to go on some shoots when I was younger. And I like the lifestyle of being in the production world because it's so fast paced and every day is different. And especially in, as a, the producer track, it's so people focused. I just work with hundreds of people every day, I feel like, and that's what I love to do. So why don't you explain to people that may not understand what Mm post-production is and how you work with voiceover artists? Yeah, absolutely. So fast forward, I now work at an ad agency in post-production. I'm a post-producer, which means that every time a commercial is being shot, I get the drive with all that footage from that shoot, and then I work with a ton of wonderful artists to put together a 30-second TV commercial or a radio spot or this or that. Post-production is everything that happens after the shoot itself. So as a producer, I put together the schedule and the budget and a plan to execute that process with whether it's editors or animators or sound designers and sound engineers who And a huge part of our commercial industry is the voiceover talent that we bring in to record. You know, every commercial that you see generally has a voiceover if it's not to camera. And they're the ones telling about the product or telling the story about what we're seeing. Yeah, the huge part of what I do is working with agents, bringing in voiceover talent, and then recording it in our studio, which is how we reconnected. I know. I guess this is a perfect time to tell folks. So I was at a job, and I meet the producer, Laura, my agent tells me, and you come out, I'm like, oh my God, I know this woman. I know this woman, and it's driving me nuts. And then I went to Facebook, and I looked Mm -hmm. you up, and I saw that we had a mutual connection. And I used to work in the corporate world, as I've shared, for a very long time. And it was kind of out of necessity being here in New York. But met some wonderful people, and Lauren, we met at the corporate gig that I was at Mm -hmm. one day, and just spent the day. I think, yeah, we talking. I had come up for new to New York for I was like a fresh twenty four year old at the time. I feel like, and I (laughs) had come up. I had come up. This is years back. I had come up (laughs) to New York for some work stuff, and Tina to visit with my boss, who's wonderful, who is our mutual connection. And I had met Tina, and we just were chatting. Like, it's, it was, it's so crazy, because I remember that conversation. I know. And then when you were like, you said the name of who we knew, and then everything flooded back. And I was like, oh, my God, this is wild. So our worlds went away. It was like a, an hour or two. It was like an afternoon. Right. And, and then, then it just faded away. Five and then, years later yeah. or whatever. 
I, here we are. And you know what's funny is I almost did not say something to you because I felt embarrassed. What? Come I on. I know. I had a, a nanosecond. It was more than a nanosecond mm. where I was like, oh my God, I have worked this job, this corporate job, and she's not going to take me seriously. And then I was just like, screw it. This is like, I, I when I worked the corporate job, everyone knew that I was doing voiceovers because right. <laughs> I used to go sneak and do voiceovers in the... So she got a do, uh, or I would take like lunch at breakfast time or something. <laughs> it was really so people knew. But that said, I, it was my own story. The podcast right. is called Vo Stories, and part of the reason is I feel like we not only as voiceover talent tell stories, but we tell stories all the time about our lives yeah. and create those stories whether right. we want to or not. Absolutely. So I'm so glad that I just said f that story and yeah. hey Laura, remember? Yeah. Me? It was and then from like that was the moment we were like, all right, we'll get coffee next week and that's what started our reconnection. Yeah. Which is so special. I know. So I mentioned earlier you do not phone it in. You're juggling a lot as you talked about. You're working with not just voiceover talent, but sound engineers, creative director, the account manager. You don't phone it in. <laughs> you don't. Well, you can't. There's not really space to do that. But where does that come from? Because there's a lot of people in right. life that just are on that hamster wheel. Yeah. I. That's interesting to think about. I, I do feel very self-motivated and I can feel myself, whether I'm working late at night from home or just responding after, before work hours, trying to make things happen outside of work even i think it just comes from a sense of well as a producer you really the quarterback and can be one of the leaders of the project and people look to you to for next steps they look to you for solutions they look to you to to set the tone and i think i don't know if it comes from like my college basketball days like i was I was a two year captain and i think but i think a lot of that leading a team and just working with all different personalities you have a sense of, you know, these people are looking to me to lead the way. And I love being a leader. And I think as a producer, you know, it's just important to take that job seriously because you can see, I can see the difference when I'm giving it my all. And if it's, you know, nine at night and we're trying to hit delivery and I'm in the edit bay with an editor, it's like giving whatever I can to support them in those tough times or just having their best interests as well as making sure the client's happy, being a teammate with the account lead. There's so many different relationships that you are essentially, like you said, juggling every day. And there's just something really rewarding about it when you see a project from start to finish and you know that you can contribute to the dynamic. If you are giving it your all from the top and you're connecting with people as humans from all different levels, they're going to respond to that. And it just changes the dynamic of the project, I feel like. I feel like, and I could be off base because I never, I mean, we just spent the afternoon together years back when you mm -hmm. came to that corporate job. Your energy is is the same. You know, that's how <laughs> I was like, I know, know you. It wasn't even like the physical look. It was that, that sense of that energy is familiar <laughs> to me that I get the sense that even the jobs you had when you first started out, did you have a similar energy to you? And that's that's a good question. I I feel like, you know, everyone has their energy and their essence that is at the center of them. 
And when they're thriving, it really, you know, whether they're, whether you call it your flow or anything, Mm -hmm. it really comes out and is palpable. And I feel like at that age, for several years, I was suffering from pretty intense anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. for a few years on and off right after college. And I, my energy back then was very come and go. And I think when we met, it was, it happened to be at a point in my, that year that I was like up, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but it was not as grounded. So it took me several years to find the balance and to get rooted in myself to have my energy, which was always in me, to really hone it in and like have it come from a grounded, centered place versus like up and down, up and down. Yeah. No, I can totally yeah. relate to that. As someone who's dealt with anxiety to be truthful mm-hmm. all my life. Yeah. Looking back at that younger Laura, what would you say to her now? Hmm. <laughs> I think I'd say that I remember when I was really struggling with feeling depressive for several months at a time, I was worried that I would never be myself again. Mm-hmm. And I was I felt like I lost myself. And I would tell that younger Laura that don't worry, you will find yourself again. And this isn't forever, you know? And I would tell her to, I wish I was more open with my friends and my roommates and my family earlier on, mm-hmm. but just about how the depths of how I was feeling. But also once I started telling my mom and my family, my brothers about what I was going through, they were crazy supportive and huge shout out to my mother, who I hope will listen to this one day. Mm. Cause she really was like such a champion for me throughout all of, and cause we were living in different, in different places, but in DC at the same time. So she saw me mm-hmm. like my light went out yeah, and she knew that she really fought for me to like help me get help. But all that was so, I think was just part of my story and I'm so grateful I got through it. But a lot of that made me who I am today and made me understand the complexities of what it's like to deal with that stuff and help connect with others. And I think, you know, it's that phrase like those who shine the brightest burn the most. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helped me expand my compassion for others, knowing that everyone's struggling with different things and a lot of times you can't tell you know what they're going through yeah (laughs) as i'm sure you could relate to (laughs) no i was just thinking about last night i was watching the movie inside out with my Uh, son don't even get me started i know i'm gonna start crying what a tearjerker he it was such a beautiful movie for Mm. children and for adults in recognizing that we i don't know why we've been programmed to believe you just should have the emotion of joy Mm -hmm. and that when you so many of us, myself, uh, kind of go through life like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. then if there's stuff that you haven't processed through, it'll come up. Oh, yeah. And it'll get you with a vengeance if you don't just be with it. Absolutely. Right? Big plug for Inside Out. So folks may not know that you are an improv <laughs> maven guru i've seen several of your shows and was blown away oh stop (laughs) talk a little bit about that and has the improv influenced your day-to-day work and life a hundred percent absolutely yes it has for the better improv is so wonderful i started doing it when i was 
I think 22 or 23 in DC actually. And it was such a wonderful community that I got to fall into. And I love being a student of improv. That within itself gives me so much fulfillment. Every class throughout the years, whatever level it is, whatever focus it is, I find myself in class being so present and leaning into the teacher and whatever they're sharing, absorbing everything that that they have to offer to the class because it's like another form of schooling for life. Anything about improv can be relayed to your, you know, your life outside of the stage, whether it's being in the moment, there are no mistakes. Yes, and. Yes, and. Rolling with the punches, being a team player, making your partner look as best as they can ever look. It's There's just so much that it's so much bigger than just improv. It's, it's the type of stuff that you can put into your life that helps you become a more present person, I feel like. All right. Lenses. Yes. What is that? What's that all about? I know, but you tell us. So Lenses is a short comedic film that I co-directed and co-starred in with a friend of mine, Becca Roth, and she wrote it. And it's a film that we, it's about just over four minutes long. You can find it on Vimeo. It's called Lenses. And uh, yeah, we made it because we, there We'd wanted to create something together, and there was a competition, a women in film competition in Boston a, a few years back, and we there were some parameters in terms of like the length of it and the style. So she wrote a story based on a real moment in her life that happened, and we just made it. We like we worked on it together. We got a mini little crew together, and. It was an awesome experience. And then once we finished it out, Becca also edited it. We sent it out to a ton of film festivals and it got a lot of reception. It, we kind of did a little film festival circuit. And it was an awesome and you experience. you did really well. I love the, um, I mean, tell people what it's about. Yeah, so Lenses is about the perception of women in the film industry. And what we did, it's about, a male who walks into a camera warehouse and has two female workers who work there, which is me and Becca. And the whole, we did a gender reversal of male to female. So it stemmed from a real experience that Becca had in New York City. And I didn't know that was a real oh, yeah. experience trying, she had. She was trying to buy a camera because she's a director and everything, and she wanted to buy a new camera. And the guy was like... And this, you know, this guy was totally undermining her and just saying, oh, do you know, this This shoots 4K, but do you know what that is? Or do you, you probably don't, you know, understand what that, like totally in her face, just assuming that she didn't know things because of her gender. Because in the film industry, a really lack of representation and there's, of of women, but there's such clearly we're in a movement right now and things are changing but especially behind the camera there they just did a recent study of 1200 feature length films and four percent of those were directed by women four percent what yeah 96 percent were directed by men and i believe one percent was directed by either a woman of color or queer woman so 
it was totally a boys club and it always has been. And it's really hard for women to break in and people of color to break in. And it's a systemic issue that's, it's a broken system, which is why all these initiatives are coming out now to really help support women with these funding programs or, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that, or places like Refinery29 championing. Refinery29. Like doing a lot of great stuff with female directors and, and seeing that there's such a discrepancy of, of representation. So, yeah, I don't know. And I think women back in the day, they're just turned off by the dynamics of the set or they don't feel like they can, like they're seen, you know, because they're just assumed that they don't know as much and stuff like that, which is, goes back to the uh, story of lenses. It, it definitely pokes fun. It like pokes fun, but it uses satire to make a point mm-hmm. and it really flips it all on its head. And I think uh, it definitely gets the point across. Did you ever try putting that on Reddit by chance? No, that's a great. I'm not a Reddit gal. I don't really know. I know you like up and down, like you yeah. use arrows. I and, think we should do that. Yeah, yeah see what that. happens. Yeah. So, but folks can see that on Vimeo. Yes. It's called Lenses. Powerful. All right, my last question, my friend. Yeah. Maya Angelou says, mm. "Words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with deeper meaning." So, with that, Laura, what do you hope your voice conveys? in life as well as in work. I mean, the quote itself to me speaks to when you're able to share your story, stories in general are very important. And when you can share it with your own voice versus just even writing it down, what you bring to it is your emotion. It is inextricable. If I'm telling a story and you can hear my emotions and see my facial reactions or my expressions and my body language that conveys so much more, it's the tone. You know, you can... There's some amazing writers out there that can convey tone, obviously, on paper. But there's something so unique and raw about being able to share your story with your own voice. I am drawn to continue doing that, you know, whether it's from the producer's lens or I'm dabbling in directing or improvising. It's all really about sharing your experience and being vulnerable with it and being honest with it to hope that others can connect with it because really what we're... What I want to continue to achieve is allowing others to feel like they're heard with these unifying stories, because whether it's like me being part of the LGBTQ community or, you know, dealing with depression or anything like that, there's so many things that if we can all just share those vulnerability nuggets, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And I think sharing stories is absolutely a way to help others along the way and help yourself along the way. It's like totally a healing thing. Absolutely. Laura, you are a light. You're completely, uh, <laughs> there's that quote, that phrase that who you are is so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> and that's how I feel about you. Your uh, presence is very, very powerful and strong. And I'm so grateful to you. As, as are you. You're Thank the best, you. Tina. This is so wonderful. Thank you for having me. I love Laura's phrase, vulnerability nuggets. That's a tweetable. And yes, Laura, I completely agree with you. Sharing stories is the thread that connects us and heals us. Thank you so much, Laura, and thank you for listening. I hope you guys will join me next week where I will be talking about why looking at yourself as a freelancer may be harmful to your voiceover career. Until then, here's to owning our voices.